0: Welcome to Bitchy History, the history podcast that would like you to remember that war is not segregated by gender and women have been kicking ass and taking names since war was invented. So we're jumping ahead a bit here on the timeline of American history because my internet provider decided that this was a great time to sever a trunk line or something and my internet has been out of service for roughly three days with no idea of when it will be back on. And it is actually surprisingly difficult to upload an entire episode using just the hotspot on my phone. And this episode, aside from this intro that I'm tacking on, was already completed and uploaded to my podcast host. This episode was originally scheduled for August 7th, when we'd be a bit closer to the American Revolution on the podcast timeline. But that's okay. I think you can keep up. Thank you for your understanding. And next week, we will be back to the French and Indian War and the rise of George Washington. I hope you enjoyed today's episode at least as much as I enjoyed making it. Welcome back to the show. We have another special episode today with guest Allie Riley. Allie has a master's in American history and her thesis specifically dealt with female spies during the American Revolution. I'm going to shut up now and let her introduce herself.
1: Thanks, Meredith, for having me. Hi, everybody. I am Allie. I got my master's in American history from Monmouth University. I am based in New Jersey, and I am currently finishing up my first book about women spies and even their roles in the American Revolution, and it will be released later this year. Fantastic. Uh, Does it have a title yet, or is it just kind of? I am calling it uh, She Spies, Women in the American Revolution, Their Heroic Missions, and I even revealed the identity of Agent 355 in the Culper Spy Ring. That is amazing. That is great. I'm waiting for it to
0: come out. You can send me a link and I'll pre-order it. Just let me know when it's, you know, when it's Absolutely. coming out. Uh, yeah, I'll get it pre-ordered and maybe I'll do a review of it on the, on the, on the podcast later on too, just so people remember it when it comes out. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I really think that women spies in the American Revolution are such an interesting thing. Women have been, you know, involved in wars for a very long time. We go back, we look at Joan of Arc. We look at, you know, women warriors have existed, you know, Boudica, things like that. But there was such a segregated understanding of male roles and female roles in the 18th century. It becomes so fascinating to see how women kind of just ignored those and threw off the expected gender roles and got themselves involved in in the war. Uh, so, yeah,
1: let's talk a little bit
0: about your research.
1: Yeah, I, um, I found some information that was actually on JSTOR. None of this was any books that I read when I was doing my thesis that women created something called the homespun movement, and they mm-hmm. were just breaking windows. They were protesting in the streets. It was really like the first rally cry of the American Revolution that women did. It was so tranquil in the colonies, but then once, like, the Stamp Act was passed and King George III took over— these women just were not having it, and like, yeah, you know, they, King they, George. They said, "Screw this, we're not doing it." Right, and, and you know, they just all,
0: decided, "Let's make our own stuff. We'll make our own cotton. We'll make our own wool. We're not going to." That's buy exactly anything.
1: what they did. Yeah. They said, "I was just about to say that they didn't buy anything that related to the British because they even made their own clothes, and they just they had to take over jobs that their husbands did. They were like millers. They were stone masonry. They did everything, and it was just I was like to myself when I was doing my research, why is none of this ever mentioned?" I've been studying American history since I was 12. I'm going to be 30 in September and I'm like, where has this been? Why is this just on an article online and not in any history book I have read in my entire life? Yeah,
0: the closest thing that we get to it in in modern pop culture, I mean, turn, the the American Spy oh, show yes. did include it to some degree, which, you know, that show was nominally historically accurate uh, i don't know it's been a while since i watched it so there were a couple uh,
1: things that i felt that were accurate but there was like one general i think that they put in there that did not even exist right i can't yeah. remember his name off the top of my head but i remember rewatching it when i was doing my research and i'm like i don't know this guy i know Simcoe, <laughs> i know arnold i know washington obviously but i'm like who is this guy he never existed where did he come from
0: which could just be an affectation for for uh you know drama but which i understand it
1: could be. i mean yeah i get that
0: but at the same time there's already enough interesting stuff actually happening you don't have to make up a new person for right. it right i
1: mean way. like you know you got a war you got women protesting you got men on the battlefields what more do you need right exactly Tell more I mean, of the women's story i mean even Look what from, they did and even before you get into the women spying Right.
0: Women spying is exactly. your, your focus, but you've got these women who we've got the homespun movement. And then you've also got these women who are involved in, uh, you know, in actually fighting on the front lines. So, like you've got Deborah Sampson going. I in mentioned that,
1: a little bit about fighting. her. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and all of, all of these interesting women who just put their lives on the line in many ways. Uh, Mad Ann Bailey. I talked about her a lot in my women's history class last semester, because she was so interesting. Uh, you know, she yeah. took on a male persona and goes off into the war under the name of Samuel Gay and becomes a scout and a courier Right. and just, you know, does all of these things. You have Deborah Sampson serving in the continental army, uh, you know, uh, by, by, personal favorite is uh nancy hart who she didn't fight on the front lines but uh she did shoot two loyalist soldiers in her kitchen and held a bunch more at gunpoint until I help mean, arrived which
1: is right which is amazing badass. yeah it is i mean i had a little bit of deborah sampson there what i loved about her story too was that the fact that when she got wounded and the doctor checked her he was one of the good ones that did not rat her out yeah he she said, got, got away with it. He, you were brave this is amazing. He had a nurse take care of her. They let her go. And I'm like, there's like one actual soft side to this. Out of everything that went down, I said, you're mad at women rallying for what they want, but this you'll let go.
0: Yeah, just let it, you know, let it pass. Yeah. Of course, I think one of my favorite... I- one of my favorite people, is, is women involved in the American Revolution, she wasn't on the battle lines at all. She didn't get involved in the war, but I'm always super impressed by Mercy Otis Warren uh, yes. and her work because she was absolutely just like savage in her writing and how she actually, and she took down, you know, the British monarchy and things like that in her writing in a way that could have gotten her into a lot of trouble uh, yeah. at the time she was a, a very fascinating figure but um there yes. were so
1: many that just were so i guess you could say lucky they never got caught
0: right never got caught or at least they were they were you know privileged enough especially mercy, mercy otis warren privileged right. enough to be in a position where going after them just wouldn't have been a, a good idea um, Or maybe because
1: they're women you don't expect them to do anything wrong which is why spying worked so well for, I for think these so women, too.
0: right? Uh, yeah. I know you probably don't want to give away the uh, the you don't wanna give away the name of, of Agent three five five. Keep that for the book. Let the people okay. discover that <laughs> when they when they buy uh, when they buy the book, right? Save it, save it for them. Sure. Save,
1: they, they have I to think everybody's it. gonna be shocked though, because when I found some of the research on who I believe it is, I was like how did nobody find this? Okay, there was another one, Store. How did no one find this about her? Because right. I read George Washington's Secret Six by Don Yeager and Brian Kilme, and they just released the paperback version, and they have an afterword. Who was she? And they said, unless new evidence comes to the light, blah, 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 is most likely not her. And I'm like, but you didn't find what I just found. Right? There's, you there's did so not much. find the one article that I think ties it all together
0: right yeah and
1: and it's honestly so fascinating how
0: much how many primary primary sources we have that still survive that are in the archives yeah. and people think that the archives have been you know codified that we've gone through it that we know what's in there we don't we don't know everything that's in those archives yet oh. uh, not for the American Revolution not for the Civil War not for any of these we have stacks of papers that are still left to be to be looked at and researched and, and understood by historians, which is fascinating. I
1: mean, a little off topic, but it's like the one that, like, my favorite show was Mysteries of the Museum, and they did one on the Lincoln assassination, and they found a autopsy report on a man who claimed to be John Wilkes Booth, and I'm like, it was discovered, I think, in, like, 1950, and they wanted to exhume the body to see if it was really him, but they couldn't do it. That's right. The court wouldn't allow, that. and I'm like, but ev- they said every detail matched the broken leg, the scar, and I'm like, it is there's so much hidden.
0: There's so much stuff in the archives, and it's like we we need to do more work on digging into those. We definitely do. I don't Absolutely. do much archival work. I don't. I don't get into it. Most of my most of my research personally is in like the Cold War mid-century era. So a lot right. of it has been digitized. A lot of it has been dealt dealt with. But yeah, there's still so much left out there that needs to oh, be. Yeah believe looked at
1: i mean there was i mentioned a little bit in my book about some male spies and i mentioned briefly about nathan hale mm-hmm. and like when he got captured and then when i was doing a little bit more research say like maybe can i add a little bit more just to like extend the book a little and there was an article published in july 1970 and it was just found now that they think his cousin is the reason he was saying his cousin went to harvard nathan went to yale And I was like, what? It was published in the New York Times. I'm like, who hid this for 53 years? And it's not even, why are you hiding it for 53 years? This is a big deal. Of course, Samuel denied it, but I'm like, why is this hidden? Right. And it's not even that it's hidden.
0: It's just that it's, it's sitting there in plain view. Anybody could access it. And they said how
1: they, yeah. And they said how they found it was there was like, I think an old desk. It was about, I don't know, maybe the size of a, normal armoire and they said there was a letter that was handwritten but i think one of their family members and they said samuel confessed to it even though he denied it And i'm like a letter it was like the declaration of independence in the painting i'm like in plain sight in a plain dresser it was hidden it just hasn't been and now it's at the yale university library archives i'm like i need to go see that letter for myself i'm three hours from yale i need to go see it
0: i gotta go take a trip gotta go
1: plan a trip I said, I am driving to Yale now. I need to see this letter for myself. Because I'm like, how do you hide this article for 53 years? In the New York Times, no less. It's not like it's... Yeah. I was shocked when I read this. I'm like, I have to put this in part of the book when I mentioned briefly about the male spies. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah,
0: the whole spy ring entirely is very fascinating. But... Uh... Yes, yes. Who would you say is, leaving out who 355 is, don't have to tell us that, but who would okay. you say is your favorite female spy from this from this era? Like the the one with the most interesting story, the one you're most fascinated with?
1: Well, they're all, I think, fascinating in their own way. And aside from 355, I definitely think um, Lydia Dower was incredible, hiding yeah. in the linen closet. And just like, you know, writing everything down and just being as quiet as possible when Howe and his men invaded their home because they were Quakers. So like they didn't really have a choice, especially with the Quartering Act. You yeah. had to allow soldiers in the house no matter what. And they thought, well, you know what? She's not only a woman. She's a Quaker. So she, she has to be nice to us.
0: Right. She's a nice and woman. She's,
1: she's a nice woman. She's a mother. She's a wife. She's and I
0: just not going to get involved in the war because Quakers are all, you know, peaceful, neutral. Peaceful. They're neutral. Which, if you understand the history of Quakers, we've I've talked about this on the right. show before. Uh that is a wild misconception about Quakers. Like the early Quakers were some rabble rousers. They really were. They got themselves in trouble all the time. They did. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, they're yes.
1: society of friends, literally.
0: Yeah, they were uh they were some some it caused some trouble. Like, you know, you're talking about the Puritan era where they're getting, they're getting hanged for their religious beliefs right? <laughs> during that period. So they are, I mean, they caused trouble. So
1: they did. I mean, it was just amazing. And then like the thought of just like, you know, telling the general, Oh, I need to go get flour for my family. And even though that can maybe be the case, of course, they're going to let her pass because she's a woman. But I wonder, I couldn't find anything about this. I wonder if they knew if her son was in George Washington's army and she yeah. gave him the news of them coming to white marsh and if it wasn't for that she probably would have lost her son she managed to save her kid and you know give the whole army very important
0: yeah very important information to everybody and i I always do find that fascinating that she managed to you know uh turn this whole thing around she got she was allowed to stay in her home even while general howe was using it as a meeting place and all of this stuff they just they just Ignored her and let her be around because oh, she's just a woman. She'll bring us she'll bring us tea and she'll make us food and she'll just be around. Right. No reason why her little female brain would ever even comprehend what it is that we're talking about. I mean uh, it's kind of the way they
1: the, it. to be in your own closet and to take those notes and like not making a sound. I'm like the pressure she had to be under. Right? To I make I sure no one I heard would, her. I wouldn't be then, able to handle it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean... And then, like, you know... I mean, having family from Long Island... Going to do Anna Strong... I mean, that was... Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people thought she was 355... And I can understand why... Because, you know, the ring was like right there... But, like, she didn't have a code name... She wasn't really connected to them... But still, yeah. I mean... Her and Lydia's stories are very similar... Especially because the British were at their homes... Yes, exactly... A very and interesting thing... And Anna used all the petticoats and all that... And to the British she's doing laundry she's got 10 kids right we're not not going to suspect anything yes exactly she's how they never saw how the british never saw caleb brewster on the boat in the long island sound i mean maybe i wrote this in the book saying they probably assumed he was a fisherman they didn't know they had were controlling the waters
0: they were not going to bother stopping every single boat they saw because imagine if they did that would be so much work. That would be an absurd amount of manpower being used. Exactly, you know? and I think one of the most interesting things about the the war is that you have these British soldiers coming in from from you know Britain. They don't really know the lay of the land. They don't really know the culture in many ways of of, of the United States. What's going to be the United States? Yeah. And they just don't understand how active everyone is in kind of defending. Defending their the colonies, defending their way of life and, and they just don't understand how people lived their lives and we were able to use these colonists were able to use their ignorance against them in many ways where they didn't understand the lay of the land they didn't understand the culture and it just you know and they right kind of dismissed Americans as, you know, as uh, Hicks. That's really how the British felt yeah. about
1: it. And the one thing that I did question the book, because I also questioned it when I wrote my thesis, there was a woman named Anne Bates and she did it for the British. Mm-hmm. And there was an author who said, oh, well, she's the most successful. And I'm like, the only thing she really did was she pretended to be a peddler during the Battle of White Flames. And she went up and down the camp like three times. One, because she wanted to do bar- Spy activity, too. But two, because her husband was in the Loyalist Army, she could do that. But I'm like, how is that being the most successful? To me, I don't understand. I mean, yeah, it's crazy to take three trips, let alone one. But you got to remember, she's a woman. She's not going to get in trouble. The Continental Army didn't know she was the wife of a soldier. So, of course, they're going to think nothing really much of her. Right. Like, you know, the peddler persona is a great way to, like, you know, pretend. But I'm like... Is she really the most successful? When you look at what her counterparts did,
0: yeah, exactly. When you look at what the the American spy rings accomplished and what Three Fifty Five did, I, well, I going, mean, going going back to the ba- the battle at White Marsh with uh, with Lydia Darragh. one of my favorite parts of that entire story is just how General Howe is like he's he's saying uh, something's weird about this, something's wrong. I kind of feel like one of the members of the dark family probably sold us out. They overheard the plans. They told somebody about it or whatever. And they go and they question Lydia when they get back to Philadelphia. And she's just like, we were all asleep. I don't know what you're talking about. And right. And I put that. It.
1: And I found an article. I mentioned this in the book. They did not find out really what she did until two days later on December 6, 1777. They're like, well, we can't do anything now. It's what over. Gonna do? That yeah. part's over. We can't do anything about her now. We're, we're away from the house. Yes.
0: But exactly. I did saw
1: that that article that said, well, they found out two days late.
0: I will say that my favorite, I think, of all of the the, the female spies from this period that I cover in my women's history class uh, is Emily Geiger because yes. that is just I, a wild story, right? I did
1: mention her briefly, yeah. I mean, being yeah. so young and just to be on your feet that quick and just eat the note yeah. that you had to memorize bring and memorize it. it. And it was just, and using the ruse of saying, oh, I'm going to see a friend who had a baby. I mean, that's, for 17 years old, that's incredible to think of that.
0: It is. It is such an intense thing to put yourself through. And my memory is bad. So I'm also just horribly impressed by the idea that she memorized the message and then ate it. I mean, classic spycraft right there. Eat the message. Yeah, eat the message. And
1: they checked her and they found nothing. So they're like, all right, we got to let you go obviously you haven't done anything wrong because we can't do they know on you and she's
0: like mm, my brain it's like a steel trap i remember the entire message right up here yeah <laughs> that is impressive in and of itself Absolutely. Uh, i guess people had to have better memories back then maybe than they do now of course i have adhd so that explains my bad right memory, but and
1: i have epilepsy uh, so yeah i get it
0: <laughs> we all we've all we're all kind of like oh if i didn't if I didn't write it down, I wouldn't remember what I had for breakfast this morning. But uh, Emily Love Geiger, she's like, nope, I can remember an entire secret message and deliver it yeah. to, to the military. Too, with no problem. <laughs> with no problem. And they're going to believe that I knew what I'm talking about, which is great. So that was wonderful. Uh, yeah. And, of course, I, there's also the, uh, Sarah Fulton. Uh, I,
1: I didn't find too much about her, like, before and after the war. But she was in Boston. And she turned Boston Common into a field hospital. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she, Fantastic. I mean, there wasn't much found about her. They just said, you know, Washington was grateful for what she did. She had her sisters helping her, but there wasn't much I found about like her early life. I mean, when I went to the Boston Tea Party Museum, they just had that one little snippet on her and I'm like, that's it?
0: Yeah. It's, it's just, just that like she worked and she did volunteering as a nurse. She helped the continental army that way. Uh, I do recall one particular story, which I don't know if it's, if it's a true story or not, you might, you might more have more information on this. Uh, It's the story that, uh, that Sarah went that her husband, John was rowing home with a boat full of wood and he gets stopped by the British and the British seize the wood and start to take off with it. And Sarah goes off after them, stops the British cart, and just steals it. She just hijacks the cart. Oh, and no, see, I back. didn't find
1: anything on that. They didn't have see, anything on that. I
0: don't know if the, if, it's a, if it's a true story or not. It may be some apocryphal story that comes later. But my favorite part of the story is that as the British to- troops are, trying to f- are preparing to fire on her for stealing the cart, she just kind of looks at them and she goes, yeah, sure, shoot away. Like... yeah that's shoot a woman who's taking a cart of wood back to her family and that's
1: like that's like another theory where they say anna strong was 355 because they said that she was imprisoned with her husband on the on hms jersey in new york harbor and they said she gave birth on the ship but then kill and yeager are like no there was no record of a birth women were not allowed on the ships where did you get this idea from
0: where, where did this come from, right? Yeah, like and There where are a lot they... of apocryphal stories that, that there definitely are. Some of them are very are... interesting, but...
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, like, I was in touch with the International Spy Museum and they are convinced. I went to their exhibit twice, once, like, when museums first reopened and then once again last summer. And they are so convinced Anna Strong is 355. They actually have her name on the plaque. And I'm like... I tried emailing them and I tried saying, like, look, this is my research. I have my MA in this this is what I found. This is what happened. And they're like, no, that, that can't be true. It can't like, be. We 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 like, why not? And I'm like, why, why not? And I'm like, why can that not be true? Because I said, the, I, I'm giving them all my research and the points I found, especially the one important point as to why, who I think 355 is who she is. They're like, that doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, yeah, it does. It means a I lot. Mean-
0: I mean if they have something that that refutes that like it would be nice for them that's, to be like okay here here's right. our evidence of why that's not an accurate assessment of this of this evidence um it would be nice for them to say that right but they didn't right. do that they just kind of dismiss you and say well we clearly know more than you do on this subject And I would say, well, yeah, you're the museum. I would hope that you know more than me on this subject. Right, but but just to like can we Can we have a conversation about what I found and see why you think it's not true or why you think it's true? I tried
1: to do that. I wanted to go down there. I said, you know, I'm three hours from Washington, D.C. Let me come do a talk. Let's do this. And they didn't want to do it.
0: I think there's a lot of people who don't like to admit that they maybe haven't done as much research as they should have on a topic. Uh, at, and like I said, there's still so much stuff in the archives to look at. There's no good Why? reason to say we know everything, and there's no chance. There's no chance that someone's going to discover something that's gonna that's gonna change our perspective on this. Yeah. Uh, on this issue, and you know, it's it's my biggest problem with the way that people look at history is they think, well, history happened. There's no way for us to change the history books, and it's like. We change the history books all the time. Exactly. We find new information all the time. I um, mean, there's so many. allowed to change that the way that we depict it.
1: I mean, there's, when I was doing my research, there's letters from the University of Michigan that helped me figure out who I believe 355 is. And I'm like, it all makes sense. They were in a trunk together. that I found. And I'm like, I know who it is. I'm right. convinced that my research is pointing to who it is. Yeah.
0: And you know what? You release it. People read it. They find that fascinating. And then, you know, if so, if some other historian three years, 10 years, 50 years down the line looks at your research and goes into the archives and says, hey, I think I found something that disproves this, but it points in this other direction. I, I would be, I don't know about you, but I think you would be happy to be like, fantastic. I am so yeah. happy that you found new information and you've continued this research.
1: Yeah. Because- just don't refute it altogether. Right. That's the
0: that's the whole, you know that's the whole point of historical research is to say right. let's dig into this and see if maybe our preconceptions about this, our you know, previous ideas about what happened are wrong based on new evidence. And like I, I appreciate that. If somebody proves me wrong on a topic, I am happy to find out that new information. That's yeah, me that's too. Me, though, maybe. <laughs> I
1: don't know. But yeah, I mean like you know, if you find something that I could have made a mistake on, fine, but just don't throw me away altogether.
0: Yeah, yeah, saying, "Hey, this is a this Show is where I got what my makes inspiration." you believe
1: this. Yes. Because yeah, like I-, I went to a museum on Long Island just before the pandemic hit in January of 2020 and this woman, she's a curator and all that, and she just kept trying to tell me her opinion, not the actual facts, and then she has to say me, "Well, what does our master student think of this?" and I'm like, "You're wrong. <laughs> you're giving me facts, you're not giving me you're giving me your opinion, you're not giving me the facts." Yep, the I amount see, of times. I've been researching this since 2018, like when I had that one class that I did and I'm like, that's what sent me going into the research about female spies. I did a paper on just the Culper ring and I said, well, you know what, I want to further this to see what the women did. Right, and that's and then when I, Yeah, she she didn't want to hear She's like, you know, oh, this is this, this is that, and I'm like, you're giving me your opinion. I want the actual, even though I know a lot of this, I'm like, you're not giving me the facts, you're giving me your opinion there is a difference between your opinion and what's actually true
0: right a primary source some sort of evidence-based discussion about what it is that you found that that disproves what i've found right uh and there's a lot of, I feel like a lot of gatekeeping. It's an entirely different sub top, topic of discussion, but there's a lot of gatekeeping yeah. in the history field where it is, oh, yeah. well, I have a PhD and I have a job and I have, the, and so I I know what I'm talking about and I don't have to disprove. I don't have to, you know, actually give you the evidence just because I'm the expert here. And it's like, well, if you can't give me the evidence, I don't see how you're the expert, right? I don't see how the
1: right. That's like but, what I said at the Spy Museum. I'm like, you need to give me, some sort of leeway or some sort of information that makes you think Anna Strong is 355. And there's been books, there's been research, there's been everything that says she was not connected to the ring. Right. Some say Robert Townsend's common law wife or like, you know, because they say he was in love with her, but I'm like, but then he didn't want his identity known and he had to flee Long Island once the British took over his house anyway exactly yeah so, so very- and i'm like how would he have even met her because he was a store owner in manhattan so like you know the british wouldn't suspect him really of doing anything anyway because they're like well he owns the store what's he gonna do
0: right and, and I'm, I'm like not gonna get involved in the war
1: <laughs> and i can't find anything on his common-law
0: wife it is very interesting, and that's the, the problem. There is, you know, there is so much in the archives, but then there's a lot of things that didn't get saved in the archives, and a lot of that has to do with women's involvement in society and women's involvement in, in just in business and everything else during those yeah. periods of time. There's a I lot that's not
1: saved. Right. I went to Rainham Hall, which is Townsend's home. Again, the same weekend I went to. Um, where they have the Anna Strong farm and everything. And I told the girl who I think three fifty five is, and she was like, you know, when you think about it, that's not a bad theory. And I'm like, You understand you're understanding my research.
0: Yes, exactly. And I I think it's just fascinating to be able to find those new documents and, and figure I out mean, your, at, new connections. You
1: said, like, you know, there are things, like I said, like back to like the Nathan Hale article. Things are coming up all these years later yeah. that we didn't know existed. I couldn't believe that article I said it to my mother and she was like why was it in hiding for 53 years? I said, don't you think I want to know that? <laughs> if it was published in 1970 and we're in 2023, I think that a lot of times, especially
0: when it is just family records and things like that, people don't know what they have. Right now, no. I currently have an entire suitcase full of uh full of family photos and family documents and stuff like okay. that, and it's just sitting in a room in my house. And I keep meaning to go through it. I keep meaning to to go through those documents and sort of like lay them out, give it myself a timeline, do some research on the family, find out who these, you know, who these people are and things like that. Uh, and so who knows what I'll find? I don't think I'm going to find anything groundbreaking because my family doesn't have any, you know, any great secrets, I don't think, or any connections to anything super important. But at the same time, you don't know until you start doing the digging. Right.
1: yeah i mean i do ancestry and there was like stuff i found on my mother's father that like i said like there was a picture of like his semen certificate from 1925 and my mother's like i've never saw that document in my life and there was another there were other photos of him that were posted i'm like where did these photos come from and there was a woman who was posting them i emailed her i said look i am this guy's granddaughter like where did you get these photos and she refused to answer me and i'm like I never knew the man. He died in 1980. I never sadly got to meet him. I'm like, I want to know about these photos. Right. I never met my mother's father as much as I wish I had. Right. Like, and where, who are you? Like, where are you getting these photos. And digging through,
0: digging through your family history, even if it doesn't change the perspective of like national history or international history, it changes your perspective just of your own family. You find out oh, the yeah. things that your family did that you, you have no idea about. Uh, and so you, it's very important. I teach a, I teach a community history class as well, mm-hmm. which is all about, you know, teaching people how to, how to go into communities and have them, you know, uh, codify and, and, you know, collate their family histories and things like that. Uh, and often that's, you, you find some fascinating things when you're digging into yeah. just people's personal family histories and you never know when you're going to find something that is like, oh, wait, this is a document which ch- drastically changes our understanding of an actual major historic event because somebody had it stuck in a book, you know, as a bookmark because they just right. didn't know what it was. and they didn't
1: think right? it was anything important.
0: Just a random piece of documentation, a random picture, a random letter – and suddenly you have to reassess a lot of things uh, about what you knew about that event because of this one piece of document.
1: Yeah, there was like this woman I'm I'm friends with and she said her husband had this folded up piece of paper and he didn't really know what it was. And like, she said her doctor is, like this big history nerd. So she brought it to him for him. They said, just hey, for fun, look at this. And he goes, why does your husband have a copy of the Gettysburg Address? I was like, <laughs> oh, you did not just tell a historian that. Who uh, did I just not just tell me this? completely
0: just stuck in, stuck in some, stuck in his book. Just in a folder a, somewhere. Right?
1: Yeah. I'm like, you don't tell an American historian this. Please tell me to not just say those words to me. And she sent me the picture of it. I was like, take that to an appraiser like now. Right. And get it. you properly, have, and in 1863, do you know what that could be worth? And get that properly preserved. Like get it into yeah. sort of archival
0: papers and, and things like that to make sure it doesn't fall apart because that's going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: I was like... Why are you hiding this? why
0: right and again I, I, I it's not you know not really just hiding it's just ignorance, like you just don't know what you have until you know what you have exactly. and uh and it's you know more people should be looking at their family documents and things I like agree. that things and not just because it's worth money but just because like intrinsically it's it's got historic value exactly uh, for, for people uh for historians for you know the country, that kind of stuff. Before we started recording for the episode, we were talking. I said we'd save it, we'd save that conversation for once we started to record. We were talk, talking about women uh, and the way that like women are depicted in war movies and things like that. We were talking about that earlier, yeah. uh, and I think that's a really fascinating point to be found. There aren't actually that many movies about the American Revolution. I will say there's not. No. Many. Um, but they do focus on men predominantly, of course. Right. So it would be interesting to see like, more more emphasis put on the, on the roles of women, uh, in, in the American revolution. Um, right. what would you, what kind of thing would you want to see a documentary or a I would movie love to, like, movie?
1: I would love to like do a documentary on this and just say like, you know, I mean, I'm obviously a big history channel travel channel lover and I just recently watched the one they did on FDR from world mm-hmm. war two. And like, they've done ones on like 1776 they've done. And of course like the new Oppenheimer movies coming out this weekend, I want to see one done on this because there's so much of women's history that is not told. It needs to be shown. Yeah. I mean, this is a big deal and without them, who knows how the war would have turned out. I mean, I I say a little bit in my book saying if we, these women did not do what they did, we could still be under British rule. We don't know what could have happened. The war of 1812 would they have attempted spying then? What if George Washington had given up after Nathan Hale died? Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't know about these women till long afterwards. But what if after Nathan Hale's death, he would have said, "I'm done. I give up. Maybe we're meant to lose." History really does kind of turn on a dime, right? It's a
0: very—you yeah. you never know what thing is going to have, have had a major impact and have changed the entire, you know, entire history of of a major event. It's kind of like when you look at World War II and you go, "Huh." If uh, so-and-so had ended up in art school, maybe this wouldn't have, you know, blown yeah. up the way it did, right? You never know what small event in the past is going to drastically change. I uh, mean, if
1: the these story. women sta- stood back and did not do their homespun movement and let the British just run rampant, that war could have ended, say, at White Marsh in 1777. It could have been yeah. over in four years instead of seven. Yeah, and a lot With So of- much that could have changed. I
0: think that that we drastically miss, you know, misunderstand how important women's involvement is to to events, right? Obviously, right. they couldn't they couldn't necessarily vote, they didn't really have political power or any of those things, but women do have influence on their husbands, they have influence on their children. They had influence that they, you right. know, if, if the women had not supported the war effort, it would have drastically changed the entire perspective of the colonies right. if they, and- they had not been in favor
1: they considered this homespun movement the first real political movement ever i mean there was nothing in the seven years war there was no espionage there was nothing and then when these women came along once you know king george took power stamp back packs they said we're not backing down we're right. fighting this and they inspired so many more like there was a woman who spied for the civil war yes several and yeah several women and if it wasn't for these women in the american revolution who knows
0: Yes, absolutely. And I, think I think this story
1: should be told. It needs to be.
0: It does. Yeah, I think it definitely does. And I would love to see more of this on in every single war in American history. Right? We we talk. Absolutely. We do a lot of stuff on World War II. I think World War II is probably the most the most on film um uh, oh yeah more of the era but even then the women who were involved in the spy rings and things like that don't necessarily get as much airtime as as you know the battle of the bulge or d-day or things like that right, right. Uh, and we have some of fa- there's some fascinating women who were involved in you know spying for the oss who were spying and things like that but the civil war definitely does not ever talk about how much women were involved i mean just the number of women who disguised themselves as men to join the military ranks uh and and fight are we have no idea how many there were but we yeah. do know that there were dozens at least of the ones yeah. we know about uh which is such a fascinating thing that women would go out of their way to disguise themselves and sometimes they were doing it to follow their boyfriends or their husbands trying to stay close to them in the war. But other times they are doing it simply because they believed in the fight. They wanted to be involved in the fight. And, of course, they were both Confederates and Union soldiers. So it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, problematic stuff going on there if they really believed in the fight and they were Confederates. But it's still really fascinating to see that they they did this. And many many cases they won medals. They won uh, you know, they, they won grandeur when they were fighting in these wars, not they weren't just, you know, substandard soldiers that because they were women, they were actually very, very good at what they did. When they Right. Was- and,
1: you know, George Washington would send letters to some of them thanking them for what they did. You know, the American Revolution Museum in Yorktown, Virginia, would tell me, like, you know, he valued their effort. Of course, he was worried about them because, you know, this is a big task to take on. And even though he knew they were women and said, like, you know, I know that they're not going to get caught, but there is always still that chance.
0: Yeah, there's always a chance that a woman gets caught. And when you're actively engaged in in a military conflict, even if you're a woman, you're going to get thrown in jail. You're going to get, you know, bad things may happen to you because that's what happens to women in war. A lot of whether you're actively involved in the fight or not, women are one of the biggest casualties of war uh because of just the violence that's inherent in the i mean
1: you you can only assume what would have happened to these women if they got caught like sarah lydia emily you can only imagine what could have happened to them right and i would especially lydia hiding in her
0: own house exactly i would like to believe that the kind of you know very structured uh legal system of the of the british would have meant that they would have been treated with dignity and not you know uh I was looking up a t- the origin of a term the other day, not outraged, uh, which was the, the right. old way they used to refer to to sexual violence uh, in, in those days. Uh, but you never know because yeah. even if they, you know, have a, a perfect legal system, who knows what happens to someone once they're put in prison or once they're, you know, once they're, uh, you know, being attacked by by men for, for being traitors, essentially, right? right? I mean,
1: I always wonder, like, saying, like, you know, we know Nathan Hale was hanged the next day after he got – caught what would have happened to the women would they have been hanged would they have been thrown in jail what
0: right because women have a certain there is a certain cachet to being a woman during this time period where you're not treated the same way legally because right. you know, in a lot of ways the legal system kind of saw women as like a subspecies they saw them almost as children in a lot of mm-hmm. ways they weren't really treated the same way legally but uh but you know there are a lot of situations in which the punishment for women was actually worse if you look back at the you know tre- if if a woman in england in like the 1700s had killed her husband she would have been charged with petty treason uh, and burned yeah. <laughs> and burned at the right.
1: stake like that was an actual Or punishment. like the salem witch trials but, yeah if you were well, yeah. if you were a witch you were either hanged drowned s- burned Most, mostly mist- hanged burning was more the burning was more the european trials but, but yeah uh, but yeah, so the, in terms of espionage, is it worse? Is it better? Like, you know, how are you punished if you're caught being a woman?
0: Which I think is the really interesting thing is that the women weren't caught, so we don't know what would have yeah, happened.
1: So we'll never know. Exactly. We'll never know. Apparently, women were better than men at being spies for a variety of Exactly, because of Nathan we Hale don't know what would have no. happened. That's one mystery I wish I could try to figure out, but since nobody was really ever captured, Right. I never know. Probably,
0: you know, one of these days I'll dig into the, uh, to the legal history. I like looking at British common law and stuff like that. And I'll see if I can find something in the paperwork, something in the legal in a Blackstone's, uh, you know, legal history or whatever. And I'll let you know if I find anything, because if I find any reference to a woman uh, being, you know, arrested and and charged with spying and figure out what might have happened to them. Right. Because, It would be a fascinating thing to know, I think. Because
1: I'm trying to remember that I do know in the Civil War, I think Belle Boyd got caught, and I'm trying to remember what they did to her when they caught her. Mm Because Rose O'Neill Greenhow didn't get caught, but I know Belle Boyd did. I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head what happened to her.
0: Well, maybe we can have another episode. Uh, when I get around to the Civil War, I'd love to have another episode on women in the Civil War. So maybe we can do, an war now. We'll do some more research. We'll get back together and do an episode yeah, on sequel to
1: this really book. Fascinating <laughs> women in the Civil War spying because I don't remember reading anything in terms of the 1812 war spying. I don't remember the Mexican American war. I don't remember reading any of it. So why it jumps like two wars, I'm not really sure. I would love to know unless maybe there were <laughs> and I just didn't find anything. It's possible. I would like to think that yeah. the War of Eighteen Twelve was a very
0: brief war. It it, it didn't yeah. really require as much uh espionage or things
1: like that. But I and, I don't know that much about the War of 1812 to be honest. And similar to Mexican American War. That was like a year and a half, two years tops. That was really and then you got right. from eighteen forty eight to eighteen sixty one with no war.
0: And a lot of the war the 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 the, the war with Mexico is away from american soil so women were not necessarily going to be as involved and on the front lines right because i mean i'm sure there were women in the camps and things like that just because there always are but it was kind of a a distant war so there's less possibility of women getting involved on their in their average day-to-day life i think right and i think similar
1: to the spanish-american war too
0: yeah exactly so i think that does explain yeah. a little bit of that maybe but i like i said those are not my specialty areas of history so i would have to do a lot more research into that and you know what we probably would find that there is more there than we think there is because again, oh, we, don't, we don't there's
1: talk so many archives that. you never know what's there
0: exactly so many archives and so much of of women's contributions have been downplayed for yeah. years through the in the history field because it's such a boys club and you know we just aren't focusing on on it's was. like after
1: cleopatra's reign in, and then joan of arc what is that like 300 years right, right? all and, men and even
0: when you look at cleopatra i don't know if you've ever uh i had a student in my women's history class last semester who wrote a paper on cleopatra which is a fascinating paper and uh, one of the things that she kept noting was that almost all of the books written about Cleopatra write about her from the perspective of her relationships with men. Like it, it's almost That's always about her relationship with with Caesar, about Mark Antony. Like it's it's never really about her, uh, which is a very interesting point. Like we still kind of look at women through the the eyes of men uh, a lot right during, during like i times.
1: wonder why like say because i mentioned in my book that espionage was around like european wars and they did that for all those years why did the women not get involved like what would have happened if they did
0: right and did they i know we're just so missing tr- some of the core information that we need to understand Right? So, like they were did. they yeah. treated
1: the same way as women here that like because they are women they're not going to get caught or would they have captured and killed them yeah i don't know but it always said espionage questions. a game
0: I think it would be fascinating to do just a like a generalized history of women in espionage and just try to find yeah. everything that could be found. But obviously that would be a that'd probably be a life's work kind of project. It could be. Do. Yeah.
1: That's why I that's why I said, like, you know, when I did this, I spoke to my professor when I did that paper for him, The Culper Spying and I said, I feel like I could turn. Anna Strong, if there were other women who did this into a thesis and he's like, oh, I got you on the exam track. I'm like, no, you know me. I love going to museums. I love going into archives. I love exploring. Let me do work on this. And he's like, if you can handle it. I'm like, I wrote 40 pages on this. I can handle it. I can write a paper on this. I can write no a paper problem. about this. So like this book is like more of like a short story because I only focused on one more. And some of their stories, like say Sarah and Emily are very short, but I go into so much on who I think 355 is. I mean, the chapter alone on her is just
0: amazing. It's huge. I, it's huge. I, I'm so excited to read it.
1: Like, I can't wait to get it out. I want to do a documentary on this. I think this should be told. I want it on History Channel. And I'm like, you know, you guys need to see this.
0: Exactly. And I, I'm going to pre-order the book as soon as it's ready for pre-order. And, okay. but, you know, if you need somebody to, like, proofread or, you know, read it before it's out so I get the the I get the early the early read. Sure, I will give you. I'll give you some proofreading. I've done it before. Yeah, I would (laughs) love that. I mean, I get to know. I get to know the secrets before anybody else does, which will be fascinating. That's that. It's totally self-serving, but you know, if you need a proofreader,
1: I'm available. That sounds good. I mean, like you know, I just finished up the other day. I want to get it out there. You know, I was gearing towards December, but I'm like, you know what? It might be sooner if I can. Yeah.
0: I mean, it takes time. It takes time to get a book out. I totally understand that. I mean,
1: I started doing this maybe, that class was like fall of 2018. So I would say maybe like February of 19 is when I really said to my professor, I want to turn this into a thesis. I don't want to do an exam. And now it's four years later. And so a lot of sweat, a lot of tears, a lot of research, especially with a pandemic right in the middle of finishing it up. Oh yeah, when you couldn't go to museums for a few months, and I'm like, thank God at least for online archives, JSTOR articles, books. Yes, or at least absolutely. I could order from Barnes and Noble.
0: I had the same exact experience writing my thesis because it was right during the pandemic as well, and again, I had to defend
1: I, virtually. It stunk,
0: and I'm in the same, the same like boat as you are right now because I finished my thesis in 2020 and I'm still working on trying to get into a book so it's just it's you know it's this long it's a very yeah. long process of doing the extra research and expanding it because you you always realize after you're done with the thesis that it's like wow I could have added this I could have talked about this I could have done
1: this and well, that's what I'm expand, saying like so. my thesis was like a little under 10,000 words and 20 pages my book is like 22,000 words and 49 pages All Right. so you, there's, there's, there's so much expansion <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm like halfway through with dissertation at this rate. Well, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep in
0: contact, keep in the loop with you. So I, when everything's ready, I can just put it, put it out to my TikTok followers and put it out to the podcast. So Absolutely. Out. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh thank and you for having about me. This. It was fascinating information. Yeah. We're talking about women's history. It's I mean, that's the reason why I call this bitchy history, right? It's a little reclaiming. Yeah, And so, I uh, think
1: this is definitely something that needs to be out. I want to do the movie, the documentary on it. I yeah. want the story told in so many different ways. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I And I
1: wish the writer's strike wasn't happening because there's like a lot of producers and directors I wish I could talk to. I'm right. hoping the strike ends soon so I can like get in touch with some people.
0: Which, you know what? I, like we were talking about before we started, we 100% support the strike. We 100% we support it. But it is frustrating when you can't get things done.
1: <laughs> it is. It's frustrating, like, you know, with the book now done, I'm like I can't call anybody yet. I can't talk to anybody yet.
0: Right. Well, it'll give you more time to like shape up your elevator pitch, right? It gives you some time on that. Right. You know, it'll get done eventually. It's just uh it's a waiting game and it I'm is. not the patience. I fully understand, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, thank everybody for coming to listen to us both bitch about history today. We we love talking about women's history. So that's going to be something that bitchy history is kind of moving into doing more of in future episodes. This was a nice transition where I can start, you know, doing more episodes on women's history after this. Uh, and as a reminder, you can find all of my social media information and contact information at bitchyhistory.com as well as keep updated on the new episodes and content for the show. And uh, we've got a line of merch now. So, you know, you can go there and find the link to that. Uh, Ali, do you have any final reminders or information for the listeners on, you know, where to find you, information about the book?
1: Um, I am on LinkedIn under Alexandra Riley, R-I-L-E-Y. I know I have a very common last name. Um, The book I am hoping to get out at the end of the year. I will be posting more updates to LinkedIn as things get closer. Hopefully, like I said, once the writer's strike ends, I will be able to get in contact with people about turning this into a documentary because I think it needs to be told more. I think I so. Re- yeah. I, absolutely I think agree. this is, definitely needs to be told more. I would love for people to read the books, see the movie once I eventually can get it out. And I can't wait for everybody to read it. I think you guys are going to be shocked when I reveal who I believe 355 is. And I think it's going to change a lot of views on American history. i
0: fascinating. I am so excited to read it when it comes out. Yes. Uh, and a guest page is up on bitchyhistory.com for you, for Allie as well. So if you missed any of the information about her, or you're looking to find more information uh it, that's going to be on the website. It's going to be attached to this episode on the website. So you'll be able to find it really easily and, you know, uh, find, find information. And if you need to contact her about, about something, like if you've got the inside track on making a documentary about female spies, you can find her and do that. That would be great. So uh, we'll see you guys here back on next Monday for our next episode. And remember, if you are a Patreon subscriber, that the Gaslight Gatekeep Boss sessions, the special subscriber-only episode of the podcast, will be coming out on July 27th.